welcome to The Rob Burgess Show. I'm, of course, your host, Rob Burgess. On this, our 143rd episode, our returning guest is Ash Burgess. You first heard Ash Burgess on episodes 16, 26, 27, 39, 58, 63, 77, 86, 91, 100, 124, 130, 136, 142, and episode 82, which also featured fellow regular guest Jonathan Fowler of the podcast. Ash Burgess has a dusty degree in religious studies and an appetite for both high and low culture. She strives to celebrate the best of every season with her young children. Follow her on Instagram at Ash Burgess, all one word, and subscribe to her YouTube channel. And now on to the show. I will said welcome back to the Ash Burgess show. <laughs> but welcome back to the Rob Burgess show. Ash I Burgess. mean, <laughs> I blew. I have some news for you. I've taken your podcast over. Wait, so you haven't started a new one? You've taken mine over? Yes. I figured it would be easier just to kind of take yours than to actually So start you let me set up all the infrastructure. Yes. So you could come and plunder my village. Yes. And, you know, I wanted you to, you know, gather, you know, a little bit of an audience going and everything. You know? <coughs> so I don't have to kind of, I don't, I don't want to start from the ground up. I just want to kind of go with this. <coughs> have your audience doesn't mind the dramatic turn that things are going to take. <coughs> now that this is my show. What do you have planned, Ash? Oh, oh, so much. I mean, mostly just, you yeah, know, various things of interest to me. Do you, not me? I suppose, I mean... The Asperger's show now. Well, I mean, wherever the Venn diagram of your interest and my interest overlaps, those things will still be being covered, but everything outside of that, on your side, no, no more. What about your side? Oh, I mean, all of that's fair game. Alright, fair enough. Um, but you read a book recently. Yes, I was starting to tell you about this book that I read, I finished it a few days ago and I've been thinking about it ever since. I can't decide if I'm amused or angry, but I started telling you about it, and you said, "Wait, let's, you know." Yeah, I want to hear this. I don't. You, you know, you can only hear something for the first time once. So. That's true. So you wouldn't let me tell you anything else about the book. So I'm just gonna start from the beginning, and you'll have to stop me as I go and tell me if you're following me and if it makes sense and if you're understanding what I'm talking about, because you've not read this book. And some of the people I'm sure listening to this won't have read this book either. But it's a popular book. Yeah, and some of them will have read the book, and I hope that if they have read the book, people people can, like, send you messages or email you or whatever, right? Yeah, absolutely. Listeners can. Because what would really be, I mean, the, the thing that would be valuable to me would be if some of your listeners who have actually read this book would you know, contact you or something and respond and, and, you know, with their theories as to, like, what is going on here. Like, what is Would happening? you recommend this to a book club? Yes. Like, I, this is the kind of book that makes me wish I was in a book club. Like, reading this book made me feel a little bit lonely mm. because I have no one to talk to about this book. I'm listening. I, I, haven't, <laughs> I haven't read this book. That Well, that that's what I mean. I mean, I have you to talk to about this book, but I'm saying in my limited circle of people that I would discuss a book with, as far as I know, none of them have read this book. Interesting. But if I had a book club, it would be exciting right now, because we could all have read this book and now discuss it, and then maybe we could actually figure out... This is the type of book a book club would discuss. Yes. Well, I mean, to give you an idea of what I'm talking about, when I finished this book, I googled to see what other people's theories were 
in like the explanation or you know what exactly happened here and a lot of the things that i came up with were other people that were like i'm not sure and people were saying things like i read the book a second and then a third time but i'm still you know unconfirmed or whatever so what is this book okay this book is called sometimes i lie okay and i would Say it's sort of a, not exactly mystery, sort of in the suspense, kind of the beachy suspense genre, I guess is what I would call it. Are there twists at the end of every chapter? No. There are a few large twists throughout the book, and for the most part, the twists are all very predictable. It's just, in the end, you're left feeling that something's happened that the character in the book understands perhaps more than you, the reader, understand it. And then you're left to wonder, are there clues that I can look at that give me an understanding of what has happened here? Or is the author just messing with me and, and see, that's the thing. I want to believe that the author has actually, in their mind, has an explanation and has left clues that could lead you to this explanation. Even if not enough clues that you could confirm that this is for sure the explanation for the ending, I would like to think that they've at least know in their own mind what that is and feel that they have, have indicated it. Mm -hmm. But I also think that there's another possibility which is just that they just like to mess with you. So I, I mean, you, surely you've encountered, you know, a book or a movie or something like that where you feel like perhaps there's no, you know, clear explanation as to what's happened. It's just maybe they just wanted you to feel shocked and titillated at the end. Why do you think I don't watch Game of Thrones? Yeah. That's not exactly what I'm talking about, though. But I George mean, R. 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 Martin has no, like, kid. He doesn't care about his characters at all. He's no sentimentality but about I don't, his characters. My impression is that you don't watch Game of Thrones because you don't enjoy hand-to-hand -hand combat. That's wrong. And you don't enjoy this is a theory you time. developed, and I don't know where this came from. It came from the fact that you've never liked or wanted to see any of the things that I've liked or wanted to see that were about, like, people fighting in, like, a hand-to-hand -hand combat kind of way. Like, whenever it's, like, people in costumes with weapons, I feel like you're not interested. What name a um, movie or a TV show that? Falls I mean, like let's let's talk about like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, we don't have enough time over <laughs> a quarter to talk about that. <laughs> but I'm just saying, you're not really into that, and I think a lot of it is that, that. the hand-to-hand -hand combat no. doesn't appeal to you. That's another conversation. Hey, what show do you like where it's like people fighting? And yeah, maybe I don't like TV game. shows about people fighting. I, I care for some movies about hand-to-hand -hand fighting. Are they hand-to-hand -hand fighting in costume? Yes. And is it like period piece? Because I also think that you are wary of period pieces. Wait a second. I just feel like accusations are okay, flying. Maybe not right so much now. period pieces, because we do watch a lot of period pieces. Here's what you're wary of. You don't really like... I can't wait to hear this. Magic and fantastical, like, fantasy-type elements. Okay. And that is true. You have to admit okay, that. Okay, that much is true, but you can't say I don't like any hand-to-hand -hand fighting. I just think that people often choreograph hand-to-hand -hand fighting in a very fantastical way. But I think more to the point is, like, I think you really don't like Game of Thrones because 
the thing that is the most exciting to everyone else about Game of Thrones is probably the least exciting to you. Like, the Cost dragons. But didn't she turn out to be a bad person or something? I mean, I have not seen the final made, whatever made Game children. of Thrones. After her, and then they were like upset. I mean, here's my understanding of what happened, and this is based off of I've avoided any spoilers, so this could totally not even be what happened. My understanding is that she finally gets really powerful with the dragons, which I thought would have happened like several seasons ago, but apparently this is just now. And then she like roasts a bunch of people with their fire or something, and then people are angry because it's like that was like an unjustified like roasting with the dragon fire. I could be wrong. There could be more to the story. That's my as a person who's only basing this on skirting outside of the spoilers without going into them. That's my impression of why people are upset. I, I could be way off base here. But, okay, go, backing out of Game of Thrones. My point, though, was that to most people who are into Game of Thrones, the idea that there are going to be dragons is, like, one of the driving, exciting elements of the story. And for you, I feel like that was neutral slash off-putting. Let's back up further. The only okay. reason I brought Game of Thrones up in the first place was that you were saying the author sometimes just like messing with you. Yes. Okay. And I now feel let's... like George R. R. Martin is a author, for better or worse. I haven't read any of his books that that enjoys messing with people. Yes, but going back to the book, sometimes I lie, which we're here to talk about. Yes. What I was saying, though, is not that I think for sure the author just likes messing with you. What I was saying is that I was left feeling shaky ground as far as I can't be certain if the author in their mind has a total explanation or if maybe they like messing with you. And I, in my mind, have an explanation for what happened, but I don't actually have enough evidence to say that this is like definitely what happened or definitely what the author meant to have happened. This is just one theory I have. And I googled it and not a lot of people have the same theory as me. A lot of people focused on something else. So, who knows. But I think we're just gonna have I'm just gonna have to talk you through the book a little bit, aren't I? Okay, so the basic premise of the book is that it starts out with a woman saying a list of three things. And one of those things is that she is in a coma. And then most of the book is concerned with her being in the coma. And we'll call this the present. So in the present, she is in the coma. And she is walking kind of through her memories to try to get to the point of realizing how did she get in the coma. And also she really wants to get out of the coma. And she's very concerned that, you know, she's she's suspicious of the people that have come to visit her in the hospital. She doesn't quite know if maybe some of them are sort of out to get her, or possibly even somewhat responsible for her being in the coma, and she wants to awake from the coma, and so she can, you know, whatever it is that she's planning to do next. So that's what I would call the present. Then we have what I'm going to call the recent past, which is the events of the several weeks leading up to, up until the point that she goes into the coma. So basically just the recent past, which as we go through the recent past, we get closer and closer to finding out why she's in the coma. And then we have a third, I guess I'll call it a third time period, but it's also a third type of narration because 
both the present and the recent past are just a first person, you know, narrative. Like she's recalling what's happening. She's either, you know, narrating what's happening to her in the present or recalling what happened to her in the recent past. And the third thing, which we'll call the distant past, is a diary. And the diary is from, like, probably 20, 20 years ago. The big twist, and, well, I would say, I will say one of the big twists. This is a big twist that I was not surprised by, because this is, I feel like, something I've encountered in several other books before, is that you, the reader, are set up to presume that the author of the diary is the same person who's narrating the rest of the book. And then at some point you find out that perhaps the author is someone else and that changes your whole understanding of the events in the diary and also as they relate to your main character, now that you think it's a different character. Mm-hmm. So that's the basic setup. Um... Now, I, I don't know, I mean, you don't want me to just, you know, give you, to painstakingly tell you about, like, the whole book. So I have to figure out how to kind of, you know, sum this up to get to the issue that I'm having with the ending. Summarize in 100 words what happens next. I don't think I can summarize it in 100 words, but I can try to, I can try to boil it down, you know. Okay. To... Brass tax. Yeah, I'll give you just a little, I'll give you a pretty concise explanation of what's happening in each of the time periods, starting with the distant past. In the distant past, we have the 10-year-old who we are made to presume is our narrator, but then towards the end find out is not perhaps our narrator, but actually her sister, who's another character in the story. She is an unhappy, troubled child who you feel that you feel a lot for her, but you also feel like she's like a kind of a dangerous sketch person. And she's obviously moving towards some kind of an unhappy, you know, childhood event. Then we have in the recent past, we have our woman who's now in a coma. This is what's leading up to her being in the coma. She works on a talk radio show and she has this elaborate plan that she's enacting to try to somehow scare her boss, who is, like, the main personality on a talk radio show. And she's, like, sending her threatening letters, and she started a fake Twitter account to try to, like, take her down. And she's also very concerned because she has a very strained relationship with her sister, which is going to become more and more important to the story. Her sister is very imposing in her life, and she may or may not, she doesn't seem to catch on to this, but her sister may be having an affair with her husband, and her sister's very controlling, and she keeps indicating that she thinks her sister is, like, a very dangerous person. And she's also recently run into an old ex-boyfriend, and he's, like, hotter than ever, and she's, like, debating whether she should, like, have dinner with him, but she's, like, afraid that maybe she'll, like, end up having an affair with him. But she's also experiencing a lot of strain in her marriage because her husband is, like, a writer that's, like, having writer's block. 
and lately, and he, like, really wanted a family, but she hasn't been able to have kids, so there's, like, tension. And then we have her in the coma. At first, she thinks that her husband may have attacked her or something, and she doesn't trust him. But then she starts to think that maybe it was actually someone else. And it turns out that it was, like, the ex-boyfriend who she did, in fact, end up going to have a drink with. But then it seems that he drugged her and, like, took her back to his apartment. And then it turned out that, like, even though he had seemed hotter than ever, actually, he's just, like, a really creepy guy with, like, a tanning bed in his apartment who's now, like, drugged and sexually assaulted her and who possibly is the one who attacked her and who's now posing as a doctor in the hospital in order to continue drugging her. Mm. All is an elaborate revenge because... It's her fault that he got kicked out of medical school because um, she broke up with him and he, like, started stalking her. But then her sister sent a bunch of letters to the medical school pretending to be various female students making, like, complaints about him. But then her sister confronted him and said that it was, in fact, her that did it. Mm -hmm. So actually, his whole plan was actually he's been stalking her for a long time and he, like, rented an apartment and has been, like, tanning and working out so that she would think he was hotter than ever when he, like, accidentally finally bumped into her. But that's, like, maybe a red herring to the real meat of the story here. Which is that, as it turns out, our main character used to be an only child but then her parents adopted the other character who had been like a schoolmate and a friend but then the other but then the schoolmate slash friend's parents died in a horrible fire but she knows that schoolmate slash friend actually set the fire on purpose no one else knows this and ever since then her sister's been like kind of controlling her because she's like a total psycho maybe And so you're kind of, first you're like slammed with that information because you find out that the diary is actually the sister writing about her like leading up to burning down the house to like kill the parents or whatever. Mm. So you're kind of slammed with that and you kind of feel like you know what's going on and you also kind of feel that the sister's responsible for her being in the coma. But then after she comes out of the coma, she murders the sister and the sister's husband so that she can get custody of the sister's twins, so that she and the, and her husband can raise them as their own and finally be happy. And then her husband, like, writes another book and it sells, and then they go to the beach, and they're like, this is awesome. But then she sees an object from the past that implies that maybe, in fact, the sister is not dead. Mm. And then it's like, dum dum at the end. Okay. Mm. Now, here, but, but here, let me explain the question here. All right, so... At the end of the book, our main character, she feels good about herself for the first time in a long time. And then her husband orders, and they're like at like a hotel, like at like a beach vacation. Her husband orders some champagne and he says it's our anniversary. But she's like, it's not our wedding anniversary. And then she thinks and she's like, oh yeah, that other anniversary. And there's no mention, like, in the book, there's no explanation of what the anniversary is. Okay. Additionally, 
throughout the book, there have been several instances where one or the other of these sisters has kind of assumed the identity of the other one. Mm. Or tried to impersonate the other one, like one one cuts her hair so that she will look like the other one. Also, there's a third imaginary, definitely imaginary friend, who is the imaginary friend of one, and then she gives her to the other one, because the other one feels, like, sad. And then the other one keeps her, apparently, forever, because the husband knew this was an imaginary friend, the husband thought that this was his wife's only friend slash co-worker, who she would go out for, like, drinks and stuff with sometimes, and then he finds out while she's in the coma that she, like, totally doesn't exist. Okay, so in the end... How it seems in the end is that our main character, Amber, has succeeded in killing off her evil sister, Claire, and now she and her husband are raising the twins and they're happy, but either Claire is not dead and she has left this incriminating bracelet to indicate to Amber that she's not dead, or Paul has had the bra- Paul, that's the husband, has had the bracelet, and remind me to talk about the fact that their names are Paul and Claire. But anyway, or Paul has left the bracelet because he actually has his own weird thing going on. Or Edward, the secretly not that hot ex-boyfriend who actually was like keeping her in the coma in the hospital, is in fact not dead, and he's the one that's like left the bracelet there. Now, but to me, the bracelet is a red herring to the real issue here, which is like, what's even going on? Mm-hmm. All right, because a lot of people are very fixated on the idea that Amber and Claire are actually the same person, and that Amber slash Claire has some kind of multiple personality disorder, where she's made up many people, and that maybe she also made up Paul. I mean, is he even real? Maybe she made up all of these people. Who, who knows what's even happening? Maybe she's been in the coma the whole time. Maybe she was never in a coma. That's one possibility. But I actually have another theory, which is that... It's not like a multiple personality thing. I think that Paul and Claire were having an affair. And they actually killed Amber, but had Claire and Claire's husband, and then had Claire assume Amber's identity. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that in the end, the person narrating the story is, in fact, Claire, Mm. and Amber is dead. But I don't know. I don't have enough evidence to back this up, like I said. But do you have any questions? No. I think you explained it very thoroughly. Um, How did you feel about the ending? Well, like I said before, I feel like there wasn't enough evidence in the text. But do you like there to be evidence? Yes. I like to... You like figuring things out. Well, I, I feel like... You should either, if it's a mystery, if it's a straight-up mystery, then I feel like... Which is, which is the genre. Yes. I think that there should be enough evidence there that the mystery could be solved. Sherlock Holmes. 
I guess so, sure. Or just, yeah, just, just I think Clue you... was left earlier in the story I think, that would allow you to figure out the ending. Yeah, I think you, the reader, should... I think, or at least, I don't necessarily think that you should be able to solve it before the protagonist does. But I think that by the time you get to the end of the mystery, you should be able to look back and see that all the clues were in place to plausibly say, you know, this is the solution. It shouldn't just be like, something really messed up has happened here, but you'll never quite know what. Hmm. Could they be leaving it for a sequel? That's entirely possible. Although I just, I don't even know what could happen in the sequel. I mean... Neither did Michael Crichton, I'm sure, when he started The Lost World. But, I know. would be, I would pro- I mean, let, let, let's, you know, I would read the sequel. Of course you would. Of course I would. But this is why they leave things like this opaque, so they can answer these questions later, you know? Sure. But I also think people don't know how to end stories sometimes. It's hard. It's easier to come up with a concept yes. and drive forward with it, and it's harder to bring it, you know. And I'm sure if you've, like, sold your story at a certain point, you're just, like, you're on the clock to, like, end it. You just gotta, like, wrap it up somehow. Well, I think you usually sell a completed fiction manuscript. I think sometimes you can sell something that's not I think if you're an established yet. author, you can sell an unfinished <laughs> idea. Yeah. I think most people, you have to give a pretty good idea of what you're doing, like, at least a draft. But, there, okay, there was one other thing I wanted to mention that I found that I wanted... I wanted to figure out what is the meaning of this, or does it have a meaning? Does it have no meaning? Does it have a meaning? All right. So the main character's name is Amber. And her husband's name is Paul, and her sister's name is Claire. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Paul and Claire are basic... Name-wise, those are basic opposites, right? I mean, like, Paul, like, think about, like... I mean, obviously it's spelled different, but Paul is pronounced the same way as Paul, like, as in, like, to cast a Paul over something. Like, you're hiding something, you're disfiguring. Yes, I'm saying it's spelled different, but it is pronounced the same way. And Claire, obviously, it's, like, clear, you know, so, like, but I'm saying, were those names chosen to impart some meaning about the story, or was that just, you know, a coincidence, or was it just the author messing with you? Also, her name is Amber, and is that, is that supposed to be meaningful in relation to the names Paul and Claire? So I feel like, on a spectrum of, like, clarity, Paul would be at one end... Claire would be at the other end, and Amber would be in the middle, right? For sure. But what does it mean? Possible that doesn't mean anything. Yeah, that's that, and that's what I, that's what's bothering me. It either doesn't mean anything, or it means everything about the meaning of the book. Or sometimes creators can accidentally create meaning when they didn't mean to. Of course, that's true as well. I mean, doesn't mean. Just because they don't, the author doesn't know there's a pattern doesn't mean there's not a pattern. That's true, but I would just, I would love to know what was the author's intent. Like, did the author have a so meaning? You don't think not? an author can make a point by accident? No, they can, but in the end, I still want to know what the author thinks. Like, what does the author think has happened here? What was she trying, to, what was it all trying to point towards? Cashing that check. <laughs> <laughs> Leading towards. Um... But okay, it reminds me of the the whole idea of, like I was saying, the twist where it's like there's a diary, you're meant to believe it's one person, then it's someone else. A similar style was used, I think, 
in a less confusing way in another book I read recently called The Wife Between Us, in which you, the reader, are set up to believe that you are reading conflicting entries from an ex, you know, a wife and, like, a girlfriend who's, like, you know, get like you're 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 sort of set up to believe that like your both narrations are happening at the same time, mm-hmm. and that you have like a jealous ex girlfriend or ex wife or something that's like plotting against the new fiance of like the person that she's still in love with, and it turns out that's not at all what's going on, and that the present narration and the past narration are actually the same person just at two different times in their life. But like it's, that was done actually very skillfully. but it was like also a twist that you see the twist coming, but I still feel like it had a clear point and it was clearly going somewhere and it wasn't just to confuse. It was like sort of the device that the whole story turned on this book. On the other hand, there's a twist and you see it coming, but then it's like, in the end, you feel just like you don't know what happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, you know, that's the irritation of an unreliable narrator, I guess. True. It keeps it interesting, though, right? But I like things to be interesting in a way where I feel like my head can work them out, not in a way where it's just like I feel like I've been jerked around. Hmm. Do you think it's cheating as a writer? Yeah, just to jerk your readers around just for cheap thrills versus jerking your readers around when there's actually something going on that they can one day understand. How often do you feel jerked around by something you can understand? I think sometimes you feel jerked around on the pathway to understanding. Like what? Name an example. I mean, I can't. I don't have an example in mind, but surely that's happened to you before where you felt confused and then things became clear. Fight quote, six cents. Yes, like you're, you're jerked Momento. around... You're jerked around for your own entertainment, but at some point it becomes clear and you know it's... Like, Fight Club's a great example, because once again we're talking about, like, a multiple personality type of issue. You're jerked around because you don't know that's what's going on. You're confused, there's some weird things. But then, in the end, all the pieces are put together and you feel a satisfying sense of knowledge and understanding as to what has taken place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The Matrix. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't care for Matrix, but really, I mean, it's fine. It's just, I feel like it's yeah, it sounds. I mean, I understand. You want to feel like you could possibly figure it out, but you always figure out the twists to everything. So I'm surprised you're even upset about this. Like, because like, I, welcome to my world where I don't know. Like, you're, but, you're you notice everything. You're always thinking three steps ahead. So when the twist comes in a movie, you're never surprised. I've so many times. I feel like there was a movie, movie recently a where, big, and it's like I'm like, oh, what? And you're like, yeah. I feel like there was something recently, and I can't remember what it was. But I remember I was so delighted because I didn't see the twist coming. You remember what it was? I remember I was so excited because it's not like I like the favorite. Um, what was really was there really a twist? I guess in that? it wasn't really a big reveal. Um. Was a big reveal. I don't know. I don't remember what it was. I just remember there was something recently where I was like <clears throat> caught off guard, and I was—it's a great feeling. It's exciting. I just feel like I just didn't even see this happening. Like, but my curse is that I overthink everything. 
why do you want to encourage them? I'm not encouraging that, but I do think... But by leaving clues all over the story, you're encouraging a brain like yours to like search for clues. But a brain like mine is going to search for the clues whether or not they're there. So it's upsetting if it feels maybe the clues aren't there. But it's harder there. to fool you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but that's because I'm always searching for clues. Yes. Sure. Yes. But I'm saying brains that aren't like yours may enjoy a story like this more because they're like, it's like, well, but are you, are you saying that if you're not searching for clues, when you're confused at the end, you would just kind of, this is just normal because you're used if to just being confused, so you not, don't know that... If you're not used to being confused, if you're used to being always being like, yes, then when it doesn't happen, I'm sure it's very jarring. But I swear I get taken by the twist of like every movie. But that must be such an exciting way to live. It is. It's fun. Yeah. I don't know why you want to do it the other know. way. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I guess you can't help it. Your brain right, just yes. probably works like that. Yeah, I think I think some things are just like the way you look at things. You're just hardwired to do that. Mm-hmm. But it just surprises me that you are upset by something that doesn't give you that. Because well, because here, here, here's the difference. Because if something happens all the time, like you should be used to figuring everything out. Wouldn't it be different to be not figuring things out? But there's and not a, di- a but, but what I'm saying is there's a difference. There's a difference. Here's here's my point. There's a difference between. Feeling, <laughs> so you think I don't understand, but I do. There's a difference between feeling like you didn't figure something out because it just got the best of you. That's one feeling. It's a totally different feeling to think that you didn't figure something out. Because perhaps you the information wasn't there to be had. Uh-huh. But do you see what I'm saying? The difference between feeling like you something just got the best of you versus feeling like the information wasn't there to maybe put it together. That's a huge. That's a huge distinction. But you would admit most of the time things are there for you to put together. Yes, but I think they should be. <laughs> you admit it's harder to fool someone like you, someone like you, when all the pieces are out there. Yes, but I respect you if you still put the pieces there and try to fool me, versus just trying to hide some of the pieces. Don't so you I can't think it's a, it a, a lower percentage of the time that you don't figure something out because someone put something there as opposed to someone didn't? I I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's just. What do you pay attention to? What do you remember, I guess? I don't know. I'm saying, like, less of the time there are they going to be able to put the things in there for you to figure out and you not but figure it I out. But I would rather figure it out than feel like the author didn't make a good faith effort to, you know, put the information there. I just feel... I don't know. I, I can't explain this, perhaps. But... Um, but do you think it's a stylistic thing? I don't know. Or because do you think it's a talent thing? Like, like you're more clever if you're able to pull that off. You mean if you're able to fool someone and still like have if they put, put the all the things there. there? Like you said, it's pleasurable for you to see but something not, but... where you could have put something together, but you didn't, and then it gets the best of you. But you're like, oh, okay, I see what you did there. Well, but yeah, well, I think though that it's possible to put things out there in a way where you. The person still wouldn't be able to put it together, but then at the end you give them enough information that it all makes sense in retrospect. I'm saying that this book doesn't make sense retrospectively. You get to the end 
and you're still confused a little bit about what has taken place inside the text. Like there's still you still have some very serious questions about important elements of the story that you just feel are unanswered and they haven't made a good faith effort to make it feel as though you could have gotten those answers out of the story. It more seems like they wanted you to feel this way at the end. And that's that's a bit jarring and upsetting. You don't like to, to be left opaque. Yeah, I guess not. But I suppose, I mean, but this, this comes back to what I was saying about the names. Like, Amber is kind of opaque, right? Yes. Versus, you know, we've got Paul on the other side and Claire on the other side. What is this trying to tell us about the story? <laughs> I don't know why. Um, but, um... You should accept, maybe, that they don't have a plan for these names. Because maybe. you've already said they don't have a plan for their endings, so... <laughs> I, I didn't say they don't have a plan. I'm saying that I want to know what the plan is. I This is an author I would love to talk to. <laughs> I want to know, but not just like in an interviewing way where like they're just gonna say whatever the thing is. This is someone I'd actually like to talk to in like a very personal way and be like, "Look, tell me the truth. What was your what what, what was your plan here?" Well, Indiana is a one-party consent state, so if you want to call someone on the phone and record them, you're are you saying I should call them and record them so that I can publish that? That, that you're, seems very you're legally in the clear. So <laughs> I'm go not ahead. Gonna, I'm not going to take it that far. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, was there anything else you wanted to talk about tonight? I don't know. Just... I feel like we've taken this probably as far as it can go. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Well, thank you for coming on the Robert show. And many other things to speak about. What do you want to say? I'm listening. It's my brother's birthday today. Happy birthday, Elaine. Yes. Um, but you know, I when I when I was talking to him earlier, we were talking about like how many birthdays you remember and why. So, you know, going back to the idea of, like, you know, what people notice, what they latch on to, and we were saying, it's, like, it's the small details that make, like, a birthday memorable. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like as far as, like, things you remember from your childhood or don't. I remember one of my elementary school teachers spanked me in front of the entire class for a birthday. That seems wildly inappropriate. I mean, I know it was, like, what, what was it, like, the 90s then? Yeah, it was definitely the 90s. I feel like in the 90s that was still not, not totally acceptable. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Unless you went to like a school where they still like paddled students for like disciplinary purposes or something. I didn't get in that much trouble. So I don't know. <laughs> um, I'm just saying it's, it's a little. I mean, it was a female teacher to be fair, but still. Even so, that that doesn't make it better. <laughs> I think it was just the times. So I don't know. But really, I mean, the nineties. Our grandchildren are gonna listen to this, and they're gonna be like. What were you doing? I don't know. It doesn't sound like something that should have happened to me. It's a little. You've heard of that before, though, right? Yes, I've heard of that before, but not in like a school setting. This is why our children are never going to school. <laughs> I'm just saying. No, I'm aware of the like custom of a birthday spanking, but I thought that was more of like something that happened like among friends, yeah. not like in like a institutional setting. Yeah, it happens at a government institution. <laughs> I'm just saying that's it. I don't know why I find that very alarming. It was very alarming. So. But see, like you remember that because that was probably like a particularly bad thing that happened to you on your birthday. I wouldn't have chosen it for myself. <laughs> but I'm saying so that's memorable. Like a medium thing that happens to you on your birthday years yeah, later you might not I, remember because you never think about it again. Birthdays where I just ate pizza and opened a few presents and I Yeah, and like the pizza tasted fine and the presents were fine yeah. and the cake was fine. 
and you can barely remember one of those from the other because like you never have have recall to like think back on that and be like remember that medium tasting cake and that totally fine pizza you know what i mean but you recall when something a little bit jarring happens to you because it's like oh no yeah it's different exactly exactly um, but, yeah, it's like, yeah, things that are different stick out. Mm-hmm. You probably don't want to say any birthdays that stuck out for you, Roland, right? I mean, I shouldn't speak for him, other than, I mean, we we were talking about, because I was saying, you know, we were talking about what's the earliest birthday you remember. Mm-hmm. And he was, we were saying, like, I think three. Like, because I remember my it's third birthday. Remember, I don't think... Two seems too young. I don't think I remember. Yeah, two. I don't. well, that was well, that was what started because we were talking about how um, Emerald is, you know, recently turned two, and I was saying like I don't remember my second birthday at all. I remember my third birthday because my grandma made me a cake that was like shaped like a doll. Like it was like it was like kind of like a Barbie sticking out the top, and then the skirt was made of cake material and iced to look like a, like a cake, mm-hmm. like a dress. I mean, it was a cake iced to look like a dress, not a dress iced to look like a cake, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that's like, but that was unusual. Like, I've never had a cake that looked like, you know, a doll before or since, and it was like at my grandma's house, and like, you know, so it was like unusual, and that's why I remember that part of the birthday. I'm sure there were other things that happened that birthday that I don't, you know, I don't remember any of my presents, or like, I remember that there were presents, like, on a table beside the cake, but I don't remember opening them or what was in them. I just remember the cake, because that was, like, distinct. Or, like, my brother said his third birthday, he remembers, because he got, like, like, a pretend, one of those pretend mowers that, like, you know, when you're a little kid, you can push it along and it pops. Mm -hmm. And he was really excited, because our dad mowed the lawn, and then he, like, fake mowed the lawn beside him. And it was, like, you know, as glorious as you can imagine being a three-year-old, and your dad's mowing the lawn, and you're, like, also mowing... But it's little things like that. Like, that was, like, you know, that... He remembers that birthday because that was, like, such a glorious moment in time for him, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm sure you got some toy trains another time and he doesn't even remember that now or something. Exactly. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, who knows? Like... Yeah. Like, there's plenty of things that you do or don't recall. You know, just... Like, I wonder, like... I feel like... Our kids maybe, like, I don't know, do you ever wonder, like, when you have a little kid, like, you know that they remember certain things now, but you don't know if they'll remember them later? I mean, I have to imagine that things that are super important to them now will not even seem important to them later, only because I've experienced that myself. Have you, haven't you ever read a diary entry from yourself? Yes. When you were a kid? Just the things you focus on, it's just like, you spent this much time because, thinking about this? Like, especially because I feel okay. like, and I'm sure a lot of people are this way, I feel like a lot of the time I wrote in my diary when I was, like, very, very upset or, you know, felt very passionately about something, and it's usually something that now just seems like nothing. It's like you were really upset about that. It's like, I'm just so why. devastated, and it's like I'm reading this, and I'm just like, you know, here's the world's tiniest island. Like, I yeah. just don't even... Like, but it's interesting, it is an interesting... Or, or like, people that, like, yeah. don't even know what they're up to these days, I couldn't care less, like, but uh, it was so important that they, like, like you or want to hang out with you or... It is uh, an interesting feeling to get to the point where you look back on a memory 
and you can remember the time when you felt passionately about it and yet now those feelings are just not there anymore it's it's actually it feels really good sometimes i don't keep a diary for that reason (laughs) i mean i've stopped keeping a diary because i feel like i have this habit of feeling of like and this is obviously just like a self-aggrandizement of like my own like delusional making but i have this habit of like imagining my life as though it's structured in like a movie or a novel or something and so i assume that the kind of smoking gun you know theory applies to my life even though that's just like like i said i realize that's kind of delusional so like i assume that if i keep a diary at some point it will devastatingly be read <laughs> you know what i mean so like I, that's why i don't so keep a diary. This to be read no i'm saying that's why i don't keep a diary I mean, the only reason to keep a diary is to write down, like, really personal thoughts. But my assumption is that if I write a diary, it will eventually be read by the wrong person at the wrong time in a way that I wish it wasn't. Or, Or the wrong page will be read, causing a misunderstanding that then takes a great deal of time to, like, work out. You know what I mean? Like, like, cause like I said, I have a habit of imagining that my life follows the plot, like, plot. As, you know, a fictional story would. As much as I can in my professional life, I try to make my processed, through my own filter and all to my standards, work as possible. Mm-hmm. I don't like anything that is unedited, unfiltered, un published but now it is well it's like you were telling me no earlier. outtakes you, no b-sides well it's you all said a-sides you said earlier that the advice that your grandfather gave you was to you know destroy all your notes never want somebody interpreting your notes for you exactly if, even if you have to type out your notes again you'll leave stuff out that is extraneous you'll just get the information exactly. and you'll just leave everything else just throw it away it doesn't yes. matter i also have a habit of like you know, I'll have one, like, back when I was keeping a diary, like, I would have one notebook that I was using as my journal, but also, I also sometimes write fiction, so, you know, like, I'll have one page that's, like, fiction, I'll have another page that's a journal entry, I'll have a third page that's just, like, a list of things I want to buy at the store, you know what I mean? And so, there's a lot of things that, like, someone who doesn't know this could like dive in at the wrong part and like think that this is the journal when in fact it's the fiction or think that this is the fiction when in fact this is the journal or be like why is this grocery list here you know what i mean so it's like you made a fake version of that that might be a good book maybe i don't know maybe epistolary (laughs) although epistolary is always is that strictly letters though i think it I think in a pistol, I don't think, what I think, it, I think there's ephemera. another, yeah, I don't know, I, I just, I think, I think a pistol is, has to be like a letter. Isn't a diary entry a letter to yourself? Not necessarily. Sometimes it's, it's to the diary. So I think, I think it depends. No, I think sometimes people who write a diary have an audience in mind. Not that actually the thing's going to read it. No, but it's still the audience that they're fictionally writing to. Okay, like, you never watched the show Felicity. No. Okay. I mean, it's not very good. There were a lot of problems, but <laughs> the point I'm leaning towards is that the whole sort of beginning staging of how the show Felicity is laid out is that the titular character Felicity is keeping an audio diary, but it's not really a 
diary because it's it's, it's, a, like it's a letter. Reasons why. Not exactly. No, she has a friend that she is corresponding with, kind of a friend slash mentor that she is corresponding with. But rather than writing letters, she records audio tapes and like mails them to the friend slash mentor. And I can't even recall if the friend slash mentor is a real person or if this is just somebody she made up. But the point is that it's basically her diary, but instead of being like, today this happened, she's like, dear Sally, I felt so stressed when, you know what I mean? Instead of just being like, I felt so stressed when this happened. But I think that that is a common thing that someone will have a either expressed, as in the case of Felicity, where she's like, dear Sally, this is what's happening, or just in their mind audience like of the journal like man my parents are gonna be so angry when they hear how much i hate them as i write it in this journal you know what i mean like i'm picturing like an angry teenager that's like writing like angrily these are the same people that leave their diaries unlocked next to their nightstand and their dad comes in and is like (laughs) exactly that's exactly what i'm exactly what i'm referring to or it's like you got caught but how hard did you try to like but that's but i'm saying like some people like like the person i'm talking about that's like Mad at their parents you think some and writing want to an get angry. Caught? Yes, they have to be right. But th- that's what I'm talking about. Like it's I'm like saying, they can like deny it. The like emo a... teen that's like writing an angry journal entry about how much they dislike their parents, and then leaving the angry journal entry, you know, open on the you foot read of their my bed. Diary? Yes, <laughs> and it's like really the whole point of the diary was that their parents were the audience the whole time, and while they were writing that, they were really thinking in their mind, well, "Mom and true. Dad are going to be so mad when they find out how angry I am with them." You know what I mean? That's what I'm talking about, though. That's like not an expressed because, like in the journal, it doesn't literally say, "Dear Mom and Dad, I dislike you so much. I'm so angry at you." It's just in their mind, that's what they're thinking as I they write the entry. Those locks that doesn't take even like a real key to open. <laughs> no, I don't even You're think there's a lock. Like I think a it's it's just kind of left open. open. It's one of these things where the, the journal's left open, or or they've typed on the computer and they've gone away from the computer and not like closed out the window or whatever. Or the history. Or okay, for example, um, I once when I was in high school read a book. I'm trying to remember the title of it. It was called like Dear Mrs. I don't remember the name of Mrs. Whatever. But the whole point was that it was supposed to be a diary that's addressed to the girl's teacher. Because it, it was one of those class assignments where they say, like, your assignment is to keep a journal, and you have to turn the journal in so I know you're writing in it, but you can say, don't read this, and I won't read it. You, you, surely you've encountered this type of thing before. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the whole point of the thing was that, so this girl writes in the journal... And she says, like, don't read it, don't read it, don't read it. And in the end, she's like, please read the whole journal, Mrs. So-and-so, or whatever. Mm. To reveal how terrible my life is. But my point is that as she's writing the journal, she has an audience. Mm-hmm. Like, in mind. Like, even even before she actually admits to herself that she's planning to let the teacher read the journal, she's still obviously thinking of the teacher when she writes the journal and being, like, you know, planning for her to, like, one day read the journal and know what has happened. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the episode of Dawson's Creek, where Joey Potter leaves her journal out on her bed, and then Dawson comes, and he reads in the journal that she's, like, super mad at him because he's, like, totally self-absorbed, which is true, and he totally doesn't understand the real problems that she's facing in her life, which is also true, and that she thinks that his 
movie is not very good, which is also true. <laughs> and then he reads this and then gets like super mad at her and she's like, those are my private thoughts and I just wrote them to vent and those were not totally true. <laughs> and then they like get back together. <laughs> it's exactly like that. You know what I mean? Like as she was writing that, she was, part of her had to be thinking like, man, Dawson's say if he could like hear how much I <laughs> like all these like criticisms of him. And she couldn't say this to his face because... Because she loves him. But she can do this behind his back. <laughs> what is this? Yeah. <laughs> because she loves him. Yeah. Well, like, you could love someone and think that a piece of art that they're making is not very good. And leave passive-aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> passive-aggressive journal entries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one way of dealing with it. Yeah. <laughs> do you rob... I have some notes about your podcast. Well, it's the Ash Burgess show now, so it's your problem. Yes, no doubt. <laughs> your name's on the door now. You can, yes. you can deal with whatever comes next. <laughs> oh, wow. I didn't realize there would be so much pressure. I may, yeah. I may have to give it back to you. I mean, I don't know. How do you feel this author, bringing back to your book, feels about rending? That's what I'm saying. That's why I was saying I would love to actually talk to this author, like in a genuine conversation where she would actually say whether or not she I just want to know if the author you know, Nash, I'm going to reach out has an explanation in mind and I'm going to, we're going to do a three-way call three-way podcast I just I just I want to know author. I just want to know you know if this author had in her mind an explanation for what's happened or if she just kind of wanted it to be like people have to just be left to speculate on their own and never quite know. Because I feel like, to me, it seems that you, the author, should have an idea of what happened, but I can't be certain. Hmm. I'm going to make this happen. We'll see. <laughs> I'm definitely up for it, if you do. Okay. Yeah. I should probably read it, though. Yes, I think if you're going to try to talk to the author, you should definitely read it. What is the name of the book? Sometimes I lie. Sometimes I lie. You're part of this weird sometimes.